This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. During a presidential election, there's rarely more focus on the specific mechanisms of the Electoral College, that long-standing way American states choose the next president. But is the institution itself racist? Does it privilege small and rural states over those with major cities? On this election day, Cato's John Samples details some of the arguments for and against the way Americans choose a president. This is a moment in which people are focused on the election. Uh, People are concerned about when we might know who uh, the winner of the election is. And there is this continued, or should say, stronger emphasis right now on the Electoral College as an institution. And from what I've read, a lot of people think that because the Electoral College uh, was instituted, or so the, so the story goes, was instituted in many ways to put up a guardrail to protect the interests of slave-owning states so long ago, that that gives us a better reason than we would otherwise have to eliminate it and to replace it with some sort of national popular vote. Just as that story exists, what do you make of that claim? So the most interesting person on this, the claim is is what it is. Uh, There's the first question of, you know, the, the, uh, the way of electing the president through state electors is a system that is it doesn't work much like it was designed to. So in many ways, that whole institution has changed a lot on the ground in practical terms. So you have, in a sense, a different institution. Uh, so it, it, it's become something different, and you can, uh, in other words, it's not it doesn't function the same way to protect even small states, really. So that's one thing. It's a different institution, and it's not the institution it was. In, but the fact is, uh, when you want to know something like this, you turn to a historian. Uh, one of the major historians of this era is a man named Sean Wylance at uh, Princeton University. And he's written a book, which I recommend, on slavery in the Constitution. Uh, I, I recommend it because he's a top historian. He's a uh, progressive person, certainly a man of the left or the center left. And in, after his book came out, he wrote an op-ed in the, uh, the New York Times where he said, you know, when I wrote the book, I thought the story about the Electoral College was true, that it had been essentially uh, expressed slavery. It was uh, part of that whole system. It was to defend slavery. But here's the following. I've thought about it some more and read some more, and here's the considerations that made me change my mind. So this is, we have to stop for a minute and note this. This is a person who had written something, who read more, thought more about it, and changed his mind about it. And he changed his mind about it because what he found was, uh, and seemed to be very important information, was that actually the uh, most uh, defensive, most aggressive uh, slave states uh, actually voted against the Electoral College and the elector system. They did so because, in part, they thought that it uh, the electors would be uh, there was a great fear of kind of democracy and ma- the masses, and they thought electors would be like that. They were looking for someone generally independent. They said, and so on. 
So the it's odd that the slave states, the most powerful ones and ones most devoted to the cause, would be voting in the uh, uh, elections against it. This all goes to the whole question of the three-fifths compromise, because uh, the three-fifths compromise gave some representation for purposes of counting to slaves. Of course, the slaves could not vote, so you, essentially the three-fifths compromise increased the uh, representation or power of the slave states. But the Electoral College um, doesn't do much in that except on the population side, right? Uh, and so essentially what you would think that the real, uh, what really the slave states would have wanted was a legislative um, vote to elect the president. And in fact, uh, that was on the agenda at the Constitutional Convention. Uh, so there was, a, there was that alternative so generally, I think uh, it's, it's striking that Wyland's a man who really uh, had every reason politically to uh, think that the Electoral College was a part of slavery, came to change his mind about that. And I would recommend that, you know, people can use your favorite search engine and uh, Wyland's, W-I-L-E-N-T-Z, and Slavery Constitution, and you'll find that op-ed and you'll make up your own mind. Read it and see what he says about that and read his book, too. One of the uh, other claims that is uh, frequently made about the Electoral College is that it gives uh, too much representation, relatively speaking, to rural states Mm -hmm. where extremely populous states uh, don't count for as much as they might under a system of a, a straight popular vote. Uh, for the United States. Yes, and that was part of the design, of course. Uh, there was a desire to have popular representation balanced in some degree by the states as states. So, of course, uh, the in the Constitution, the states uh, each have the same votes, two votes in the Senate, uh, and those two votes in the Senate translate into electoral votes. The electoral votes are state are their their House representation plus their Senate representation. Uh, and you know that was, I think that was in general uh, a small state concern. Or um, at the beginning, there was a concern. You know, one of the big things about the original convention is there's a real concern about creating a strong central government. Uh, and added to that among the small states was that they would be dominated by large populous states like Virginia and Maryland uh, in the ensuing government. So there, there is that. And the, what has happened over time uh, because of economic development and others is you do have a movement towards cities. So uh, the small, some of the small states are fairly rural, and they, but that's the nature of the case, right? Uh, in the sense of it's a function of the development. Now, the thing I would say about it is when I first looked at this, I looked at the differences that are created, uh, and the weighting of votes is actually quite significant. This is something that California complains about with regard to Wyoming or the District of Columbia. But the actual differences, the you know, really, still you have 57 uh, vo- uh, votes uh, from the, you know, have a large delegation from California. Then you have two 
uh, Senate votes from both California and Wyoming. My point being that the chain, the actual difference is not all that great. It it sort of tapers off the effect of population. It's but it's not as if population is in a serious way impeded. It's it, there is an equality element of states in it, but it's still by and large a popular system. The the reason you don't get majority uh, that you don't it doesn't ref, it's not supposed to reject the national popular vote, but there's other reasons why it doesn't. And I, I don't think the arithmetic itself is that big a deal. It's uh, it's other things that have changed over time that make the well. I, th- I think the the biggest claim that I hear that is intuitively very attractive, and yet, as you as you note, not a part of the design, is that if a candidate wins the popular vote and then does not win the electoral college, that that itself is the problem. That because we are hewing too far from the popular will of a simple majority. Right. And simple majorities have other advantages. I mean, they're unlikely to produce ties or unlikely to not produce a winner, which could happen uh, and has happened uh, once and almost happened and took a long time in 2000. Uh, yes, that's true. Now, remember, the odd thing about all of this is uh, prior to and then even after the 2000 election, which was the first divergence between electoral college majority and a, a popular majority in a long time, in 124 years, and even longer, actually, because the 1876 election was so strange. And so at the time, Gary King at Harvard, a uh, really sophisticated uh, an analyst did the statistical analysis and projected that this th- this would happen about once a century. And so it really wasn't something that was dominant uh, about it. It would happen now and then. You had to consider the cost and benefits, that kind of stuff. And then it happened again 16 years later. What has happened is, again, uh, this kind of system is going to be uh, – very responsive to changes outside itself. And the changes is, to put it bluntly, is the Democratic voters are too tightly packed together. So they waste a lot of votes. Hillary Clinton won a 3 million uh, vote, uh, popular vote victory in 2016. Uh, She won California by 3 million votes. If she had won it by 50,000 or 100,000 votes, she would have gotten the same number of electoral college. Uh, So the Democratic uh, uh, voters tend to be to live close together, and indeed, there is a big sort going on in the United States. So that you know, sorting by party and ideology, and the result is that you can fairly easily, particularly if you and third party candidates probably have something to do with it. You can fairly, you can, it can happen. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but uh, it, but who knows, right? Uh, and it could have. The other thing about it, of course, is that it's, pro- I think, I'll say two things. One is it's problematic because it seems to come to the advantage of one party and not the other party. If it, both parties either won from it or lost from it, you might have an opening for changing it. But a constitutional amendment that would be opposed by one party because it, uh, the electoral system uh, benefited them can be stopped. I mean, you can't really, it's very hard. And in fact, I've just assumed for the last 10 years or so that absent some disaster, that there's not going to be a, any constitutional amendment to change the Electoral College. The Republicans see it as in their benefit. They have certain views I don't agree with about its effects. 
but uh, they certainly aren't going to change it, I don't think. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a system that um, is really looks a lot like it. it just like everything else. It's been sucked down into the polarization and partisanship of our, our country. And so you even get what I think are highly dangerous, non-constitutional ways of trying to, to get to a national popular vote. Uh, and uh, like the national popular vote uh, interstate compact, which I think is an f- indication of frustration uh, in some ways of not having a constitutional amendment. And yet it seems to be a very, to me, quite fragile and probably not something you want to undertake with a highly polarized uh, country. I mean, it just seems like something that uh, it could, if something could go wrong and get, I mean, things may go wrong anyway, but you have this situation where a highly polarized country and the presidential election misfires in a serious way and you have fight that's 1876 you have fights over state delegations and it determined the uh, uh outcome that just is not something that a chance that we ought to be taking we've got enough risk i think in 2016 i spoke with uh, senator mike lee of mm-hmm. Utah, and this was uh, maybe a few weeks before the election. And I asked him uh, point blank, you know, is there anything that prevents a, an elector from going rogue and choosing someone based on conscience rather than the, the dictate of uh, uh, the state legislature? Uh, and he said, nothing at all. Uh, And since then, the Supreme Court has said, yes, states, you may, in fact, punish electors for, quote unquote, going rogue. Uh, We also have, uh, as you mentioned, this compact in which states would assign their uh, electors based upon whatever ends up being the national popular vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, the the big one, the elephant in the room, in, in my view, is that the Constitution doesn't give anyone the right to vote on uh, for president. It gives the state legislatures the power to determine where those electors go. And it's only by tradition that states have opted to delegate that to voters. And, and, and so it, it seems like the Electoral College, uh, when created, may not fit well within the institutions as they have developed today? That's a very good insight that most people have no idea about, right? So this is the, this is clearly, first of all, it's important to recall that the, the heart, in some ways the hardest thing that the convention dealt with, the most difficult issue, the one they couldn't resolve, was how to elect the president. So you, you have several votes throughout the summer without much in the way of resolution and no way forward. And you finally get a compromise, which is what we have, between state and popular uh, power. Uh, The major uh, alternatives were popular vote, election by the legislature, and then you ended up with this. The election by the legislature is, uh, is rejected on separation of powers grounds, uh, popular vote is some people are against it because they think the masses shouldn't be voting. Some people are against it on the odd uh, to us idea that there couldn't be a national candidate. People wouldn't develop uh, after Washington left. Remember, they had to think about that. They, they knew Washington would be there for eight years or whatever. 
So you ended up with this and a very compromise, and it's also one that didn't take into account like the entire constitution, political parties. The upshot of all of it is by 1840, you really are starting to converge on one way. The constitution says the actual system is state legislatures get a certain number of electors. They can decide how to allocate them. They could do it with coin tosses. And as you correctly point out, which is there is no right to vote in the U.S. Constitution because state legislatures don't have to take account of votes at all, right, in allocating the electors. So they can do it pretty much any way they want to. There doesn't seem to be any internal constraints. And, but what the, in fact, that's not true. What has actually happened is they allocated in one way, which except for two states, Nebraska and Maine now, and the one way since uh, roughly 1840 uh, is uh, winner take all. So that's the Hillary Clinton po- point about California. 100,000 and 3 million make no difference. She got all of the uh, votes uh, anyway, all the electoral votes. And, you know, notice the... Um, all the states could choose to allocate electors according to the popular vote. There's not, they all could do that. The states have that power. The parties that run the states, both parties agree that they don't want to do that, though, and they don't do it in 48 out of 50 cases. And even uh, in those cases, it's a modified system of, uh, of allocating a uh, winner-take-all. So this and the winner-take-all is what really... Uh, in other words, I live in uh, California now, and I lived in D.C. permanently, and um, there's no reason to vote because I can't possibly affect the outcome. I know what I vote or don't vote or who I vote for actually doesn't actually matter uh, because of that. I am in Kentucky, and that is also true. Well, as late, though, and this is an interesting point for the whole system, which is, I guess, Clinton won Kentucky probably in 96 was the last time a that's right. 92, twice. 92 and 96. He won both times. Well, no, you know, Jimmy Carter probably won Kentucky, too. Uh, the demise of the Southern Democrat in the elite uh, party ranks is uh, an indication of that. I mean, Kentucky's become much, much more conservative and Republican during your lifetime, actually. So uh, are there practical reasons uh, especially given controversy surrounding elections. I'm thinking of 2000 when Florida, uh, the the issue there was that it was so close mm-hmm. uh, that the Electoral College as a practical constraint effectively made that a Florida-only issue uh, rather than sparking uh, fights over the election outcomes in, in major cities and, and uh, other uh, areas where it might have had an impact ultimately on who won the presidency. But I can also imagine that the Electoral College itself introduces problems by its existence uh, with respect to getting a clear, credible uh, election outcome. That's correct in the sense that, well, you saw that in 2000. And you're right, it did constrain the kind of area of conflict. There's no doubt about that. But uh, it was also the marginal elect, uh, delegation, right? It decided the election by 500 votes or whatever. So it was constrained to that one state, but it, it was the nature of it. Uh, the the national popular vote response can be, you know, you're not going to be in that situation with a national popular vote. You might have a very close election, 
but uh, you're not going to be in that situation because you're not going to come very close to it. High. I mean, Gore and Bush was about 500,000, which is a pretty close uh, election, but it was, you know, you're going to have to end up arguing, in which people may argue, that there's a bunch of fraud in the system and that it reaches that. But it's going to be hard for it to misfire in that way. I do think there, the, the state element is one that's often cited. There, there's some truth to it. it. It maintains a state role in the system, and we've become a much more nationalized, centralized uh, government. I do think if you had a national popular vote, one of the possible disadvantages would be that you end up with a national election commission rather than the Florida election commission, the Florida secretary of state and 50 secretary of states and commissions deciding these things. You end up with someone that's similar to a secretary of state for the entire country. It just seems inevitable because there's a federal election and it'll be carried out at the state level for sure. But the overall uh, rulings about it and the regula- regulatory apparatus will be in Washington. The reason I think that's a big disadvantage is that's like, you know, it does open the possibility of uh, in a close election of uh, fighting over the election commission and how you count the votes nationwide. It does really, I think, increase the probability of tyranny, although, of course, it doesn't or a overturning of a Republican system. Uh, it increases it. Of course, it doesn't guarantee it. It just makes it somewhat more likely because you centralize power in Washington over how who how you count the votes. You see what I mean? It's a, it sounds a little paranoid, but it's it's not. I'm not saying it would happen. I'm just saying it's a disadvantage of uh, centralizing power that way. What of the notion that uh, under a different system of parties that we might end up with? candidates who get an electoral vote here, an electoral vote there. Uh, Nobody gets to 270, and we are permanently in a position of having the U.S. House uh, Mm -hmm. and and or the Senate select the president. Well, people see the people argue that about the convention, that uh, actually the system itself is not uh, a rejection of legislative control. It's it's a mixture. Because if they expected that most of the time or fairly frequently that the election would be thrown into the House, then you have the legislature electing the president. The uh, issues of uh, separation of powers and corruption maybe aren't, that is, that the president uh, does all sorts of things to keep power by making legislators happy. Um, the fact is that uh, you know you end up with the legislature making the decision, and maybe they foresaw that. And now it's seen as an extreme uh, issue. I think uh, this year, I th- there's arguments, but I've seen arguments that they vote by states. So this, that's the other part of it in the House is the the significance and centrality of the state is reinforced. It's not a popular election. Uh, you don't vote by uh, membership. Every member doesn't have a vote. So right now, I think probably it's a 28-22 Republican advantage. So probably if it goes to the House, Donald Trump's going to be reelected. There's reasons to think it won't go to the House, actually. But that's uh, part of the system. And it also, uh, you know, it could be, uh, it depends on state delegations and, and it depends on the distribution of the population, how it actually uh, works out. Um, so 
I don't, we haven't gotten into that. Uh, Richard Posner argued that the reason to do Florida the way it was done in 2000 was just, you were going to end up with a Republican president if you went to the House. So for efficiency reasons, you just cut it short because it sort of the conflict was, might get out of hand. Um, and that, that, you know, that uh, you keep things out of the House for those kinds of reasons. It probably wouldn't work very well. And it might diverge quite a bit from the popular vote. You know, I will say one thing about the popular vote is it really depends on how what people think about it. If they think that uh, this divergence between the, you know, an electoral college winner and a popular vote winner is a bad thing that makes it really undermines Republican government in the United States, then then it's a problem, right? It's not obvious that that's a problem, that people worry about it. Uh, it could be that it uh, sort of, over time, uh, most people think that. Now, the problem is, this is another issue of the, the partisanship and the partisan kind of uh, valence of the electoral college, which is that people are likely to think along partisan lines to the extent that they consider the matter. So they're going to think that it's not a big deal if they're a Republican, that you don't get a popular vote winner, and the opposite if you're a Democrat. So we're not we need people to step back a little bit. We don't have that to assess those kinds of things. John Samples is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.